All right, that was great. Good announcements, brother. Thank you for your testimonies. That's encouraging. It's been a real blessing to be here. And, you know, when we come together and we fellowship in the Lord around His Word, uh, a little bit of, I think I mentioned earlier this week about being a little slice of heaven that uh, we get to enjoy fellowship and uh, worshiping God together. And so it's really been a delight to be here. Uh, it's, not, it's not been that wonderful that we're going to stay. We're Our home is in PA, so we're planning to leave probably pretty early tomorrow morning, head back that way. So there's a lot waiting for us there. So we better head back there to get on with life. So uh, I know it's going to be hard for you tomorrow evening. Uh, tomorrow evening will be the first evening for a whole week that you won't have church. And so it's going to be really hard for you to find things to do. But I encourage you to, I encourage you to, to you know, ask the Lord what you'd have, he'd have you to do on Monday evening after a week of meetings, and you'll probably find something to do. You won't have to sit there and twiddle your thumbs and, you know, I'm sure you'll find plenty to do. It's actually what is amazing, the, what is really amazing is that people can take an evening every night for a whole week and come to church. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. So I commend you. Thank you for being so supportive of uh, these meetings. And I want to tell you something else. This is also something very supportive and encouraging. And that is that I have seen, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to look real close, but I don't think there's anybody here this morning that wasn't here sometime throughout the last week. And so sometimes I've gone to have meetings and it's like a whole new church comes into the church on Sunday morning. It's like, we, where do all these people come from? And the, and the preacher said, yeah, we know, yeah, these people never come to any other service except the Sunday morning. And uh, you know what? That's too bad. And so I compliment you here at Hepzibah. You people have been here for these meetings. And so God bless you for that. Well, it looks like I have a different kind of a beverage here this morning. If you're jealous of the preacher, because he gets to stand, and he gets to talk, and he gets a drink, you can even be more jealous this morning because I got sweet tea. This is really nice. Thank you. I'm going to make sure that by the time the sermon is over, I'm draining the bottom of this because you don't, you don't want to let any of that go to waste. So. All right. So anyway, God bless you, dear people. We are going to have very fond memories of our time here with all of you. All right, let's get on with the sermon this morning. We're going to talk about probably, I, you know, I don't want to say uh, a message is more important than another one, but, you know, this one I, I would consider the implications and the impact of this sermon on our homes and our families is is powerful. And so we're going to talk about the family pastor this morning, the family pastor. And uh, you probably have an idea already what, what this is going to be about. So all the children are probably sitting up and taking notice right now. Okay, family pastor, that sounds like it might be, huh, yeah, he's going to preach to dad this morning. <laughs> and uh, so don't overanalyze dad this morning. Please, please don't be critical and uh, run him through uh, uh, evaluation necessarily because that's not necessarily very kind because we are all human. We are all normal. In fact, I want to tell you people here at Hepzibah, uh, if you're wondering if you're badder than most people, you're not. Uh, if you're wondering if you're needy like most people, you are. Um, we're, you know, we're all kind of cut out of the same thing and we all have the same struggles and the same needs and it seems that, you know, I, I get around and see different people in different churches, and you know what, they all sort of struggle with the same kinds of things. And so uh, any struggle we have, any need we have is normal. So, in fact, there is no temptation uh, taken uh, that is not, I'm not sure exactly how the verse goes. Somebody probably could quote it better than me. But, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He provides a way to escape that we can bear it. And so, whatever your temptation is, whatever your weakness is, whatever your failure is, it's normal. This is how people live. This is how people struggle. 
And this is how people go through life. We don't always get it right. We don't always, we're not always on top of things. So anyway, those are some introductory thoughts as we think about the family pastor. Now we know this morning that every church needs a pastor. Um, I don't think I've talked about this here this week. You know, it's hard for me to remember. My memory is different than it used to be. I could, I could tell you what I did, I could tell you what I said, and when I did it, and when I said it, but not that way anymore. But when, well, my mother, my mother is from Vermont, okay? Some of you asked me about my mother. My mother has dementia or Alzheimer's. We take care of her. It's very, very challenging at times. Sometimes it's just plain hilarious. But um, she grew up in Vermont, and uh, we would go back when I was a boy, we would go back to visit her home community. Uh, her mother lived there, her brother lived there, and so we would go back to visit the old place, you know, and we visit the church, West Rupert, Vermont, okay, West Rupert, Vermont. There was, there was a church in that town, it was a Assembly of God church, I believe it was, and there was Pastor Paul Mychek. Pastor Paul Mychek, he did everything. He did, I am not kidding you, he did everything. And I, you know, and I think about a church that has a man that does everything, and what happens when he's gone? Then nobody does anything, I guess. But he would greet the people when they came in the door. His wife played the organ, and he led the singing. They even had a sort of choir. Okay, <laughs> wasn't really much of a choir. A few people that weren't very good at singing. Um, not like this lovely choir of young people that was here the other night. They just sang beautifully like, uh, you know, the celestial music angels, you know, singing in front of this church here. Well, their choir wasn't like that. It was like they played the organ real loud to, you know, try to make it sound a little better than if the people were singing. <laughs> okay? But he led the choir. His wife played the organ. And he led the singing. Came time for Sunday school. And they took the children downstairs, a few children, just a few of them, to, to watch Veggie Tales, on, and then he would teach the Sunday school class. And after he taught the Sunday school class, he stood up and he preached a sermon. And this was his favorite gesture. When he was preaching, he'd go like this the whole time. And that was his way of being emphatic, I guess. And uh, then when church was over, he would stand at the door and would shake everybody's hand as they went home. So he was a one-man show, okay? So he had it all. He did it all. So brethren that are in the ministry here, thank God for a plural ministry team, that you don't have to do everything. And you have people here. I hear you, the preacher did not lead the singing, and the preacher did not teach the Sunday school class. Um, we have people that are gifted and talented and spiritual to the point that they can operate in leadership positions in our churches. Praise God for that. There's a lot of places where you get a lay person, they'll never do anything in a church. So thank God for where we're at. But a church needs a pastor. Churches without a pastor don't generally last very long. And a family, we all know this morning, a family is a little church. It is a group of people that need nurture, direction, and protection. And this little group of family needs a pastor. And there is none so qualified or none so available, none so needed as the man of the house. He is the family pastor. You know, there are some that think that society will do it. And that is a, that is a terrible mistake. Our society is in such a disaster. If you turn your your children or your family into society to let them manage them and teach them and train them, it's, gonna, it's not going to work out. It's going to be a, a disaster when it's done. Bad results. And, you know, you have a Christian school here. That is a wonderful asset. And some, I, I know, teaching school many years, I know there are parents that send their children to, to the Christian school and they say, you know what, all of, the, all of the weakness and failure we have here in our home is going to all be answered in the school. Thank God the school is going to fix all the problems in my child. Does it usually work that way? It doesn't work that way, no. 
Some think the school will do it, will do it but this is very far from ideal, likely with poor results. But the school can be very helpful and very influential. We have to give it that credit. Some think the church will do it, and that is also a false hope. The church cannot do it either, though the leaders are very energetic and very gifted. The church uh, will be a very great help in raising a family, but it's not going to make up for the lack in the home. Some other family member might have to do it if dad is absent. Um, somebody else might have to step in. We had a young lady in our church years ago. Her husband left the family. He actually moved to Canada and got remarried in Canada to another woman. And so this lady, she had three children, no husband, but here was good grandpa. Good grandpa stepped in there and he tried to do what he could do. And so when the family pastor is missing, absent, somebody else may have to step in there. And I want to encourage us to be sensitive to that. There are families that have a need. And if somebody else can step in there to, to take up some of the slack and to provide some influence and accountability and some mentoring or whatever, it can be very helpful and necessary. Mother alone can't do it, even though sometimes mother is forced to do it, but she is not equipped nor gifted with all it takes to guide a family. Sometimes she must try due to circumstances that thrust her into this position. So this morning we're going to take a look at a few scriptures which refer to Christ. We know that they refer to Christ, so you don't have to say, well, that's taken out of context, brother. Well, I know that, okay? When we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, we're going to say, we're going to think about it in terms of my dad is my shepherd, or the family pastor is my shepherd. So first of all, we're going to look at Psalm 23 for a few moments. So you can turn there or just flip through the memorized Bible in your mind, because I'm sure many of you know this, perhaps all of you. And the first point of our message this morning is that he feeds, all right? He feeds. The family pastor feeds the sheep. All right? Verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. We're going to stop right there. But it says here, I shall not want. And what that means is, I am content. I am lacking nothing. Now, uh, we've been, we've been uh, sitting in our little, little apartment at uh, Dwayne's house, so we were able to watch a little bit what goes on there. And it uh, looks, looks pretty good. Looks like things are going fine there. Um, looks like the children are happy to be at home. I, I don't see them all saying... You know, it doesn't look like they're always jumping in their vehicles to leave, uh, go someplace else. But, you know, it seems at times that young people, I have observed, that they really don't want to be around home. They'd rather go somewhere else. And home should be a place where everybody loves to be. Because it's a place where needs are met. It's a place where there is food on the table. It's a place where there is love. It's a place where there is peace. Um, I know when I was a boy, there were times my brother and I, we just wanted to get out of there because there was no peace. My parents were fighting. There was yelling. Every once in a while, something was flying through the air. I'm not kidding you. That's the way I grew up. But to have a home where there's peace, tranquility, people are respectful to each other, Nobody's yelling. What a blessing. And the children, they just feel very much at ease, very much at home, because it's a place where there's peace. My needs are met. I'm fed. I'm watered. I'm happy. I'm content. Talks here about green pastures and still waters. 
places of pleasantness and peace, spiritual nourishment and nurture occurring. This speaks of contentment. Needs are met. Home is happy. Home is secure. Home is safe. I don't have to run all over creation looking for what I am missing. I'm not restless because this is where I like to be. These sheep are well fed. The shepherd has led them to the bread of life, Jesus himself, where they have all of their needs supplied. And he has faithfully fed them with the milk of the word. And then later on, the meat of the word. So that they can grow thereby. And then it says, he restores their souls. You know, sometimes the sheep, sometimes the sheep are in distress. Are your sheep ever in distress? <laughs> Maybe your sheep are different than mine. My sheep are sometimes distressed. Because life is distressing. Um, peer pressure. Friends. Unkind comments. Rejection. Sometimes our sheep experience those kinds of things. And then there comes a time, I had a very in-depth discussion with my daughter before we came down here. She's 18. She thinks about boys. And boys can be very disturbing and very distressing. <laughs> so we were chatting about boys a little bit. And you know what, Dad? Solid. There's a relationship that is dependable. I want what is best for my daughter, and she knows it. And so she is free to talk to me about such matters. Dad needs to be that kind of a man. He needs to be the kind of a man that children can bring their distress and their disturbance to. And they find in him stability, and their soul can be restored by a little talk with the shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, says that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. We all know this is referring to Jesus, but we're going to apply it to our family pastors here this morning. And then there's Deuteronomy chapter 6. This one always challenges me. I invite you to turn there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Lest you think the way I preach this scripture is a reflection on my success, I'll tell you right up front, it's not that way. I need this sermon. I need this sermon as bad as anybody here, maybe worse, maybe more, I should say. But it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. We talked about that earlier this week with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. So this scripture, this scripture gives a clear definition to what the family pastor is like. And the first item is verse 5, and it talks about a love for the Lord. So does the family pastor at your house does he have a love for the Lord? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. He is to be in love with God. He loves the Lord. God is the central focus of his life. And this is proven by his values, proven by his activities, and proven by his priorities. God is first. He is number one. 
And he speaks lovingly and admiringly about God. He loves God. He says he loves God, and he admires God, and he speaks very highly of God. And then he also loves the Word of God. It says he loves the Word of God, and it's proven because it's in his heart. And I challenge us here this morning, do your children catch you reading God's Word? Do they know that you make it a priority every day to spend time in the Word of God? That speaks very loudly. That your priorities are not business. The priorities are not my things I like to do. But my priority, first of all, is God. God is first in my life. I will not go without God. Everybody's life is different. And we all, some have much more demands on their time than others. If you are self-employed, maybe, you know what, being self-employed might mean you have less free time in your life. I don't know. I'm a self-employed little farmer man. So, you know what, if the, you know, it all can wait. And I know that one, what's going to happen is I'm going to run out of energy by the end of the day anyway, so I might as well not get it, and there's no need to get in a big hurry to get started because I'm going to run out of energy by the end of the day anyway. So just spend some time with the Lord, read His Word, pray through my prayers, and you know what, when I get to it, it'll, I'll get to it. And if I have to work till 6 o'clock this evening, it's all right. And, you know, sometimes we watch the sun go down. But you know what? Spend time with the Lord, even if it's not at the beginning of the day. Just do it. Make sure it's a priority in your life. Love the Lord and love His Word. And make sure the Word of God is in your heart. It is at the center of your being, influencing every area of your life. You know what? When the Word of God has really saturated and permeated, and I used the word before, marinated your heart, it becomes part of who you are, so that you don't have to sit down and give a lot of consideration. Okay, that guy said this to me. What am I supposed to do about that? It's sort of like the Word of God is there, and it comes out of your life. And it just kind of directs you in your responses to people and what they say, and your responses to life and what happens and what people do. Uh, we respond out of the knowledge and out of the, the, the depths of God's truth in our hearts. And so it is to be at the center of your being, influence every area and every aspect of your life. And then it goes on to say <clears throat> that he teaches diligently. <laughs> oh, if we, were to, if we were to put a gauge on the diligence by which we teach our families the ways of God and the truth of God, the Word of God, if we would give ourselves the the five-star rating system, how many stars do I get? My star rating at times is very poor. Diligently, teaching diligently the truth of God's Word. He teaches diligently. He is concerned that his family be educated in the ways of God. He talks freely of God's truth, God's creation, God's principles for life. God's Word is always relevant and available for discussion. This is all about feeding. And it talks about having it on the gates, um, signs on your hand, frontlets between thine eyes, write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. In other words... Our focus in our life is on God and His truth. And we, you know, some people used to think, I don't know if you've ever heard this kind of thing, but some people used to think that if you got too much religion, you'd go off the deep end. You ever hear things like that? You, you got so much religion, you're, you're going crazy, or it's affecting your mind. Well, praise God if it's affecting your mind, okay? All right, that's, that's what it should do. Um, but I, I would like to suggest to us here, you can't get too much of it, all right? 
you can't get too much of it because it's all positive and it's all good and it's going to lead you in paths of, like we, like we read here, truths of truth and righteousness. Um, and so saturate your life and the life of your family with the truth of God's word. You can't get too much of it. Second point this morning is that he leads. He leads. And this is the second half of verse 3, Psalm 23. It says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, children and young people need a leader. Not only do they need a leader, but they actually want a leader. It might look at times like they really wouldn't rather have a leader, but the truth is they want one. And when we, when we step back from our leadership duties and responsibilities, uh, it leaves the sheep feeling like a little insecure. All right? Does that make sense to us? They want leadership. And uh, a leader must be brave, and a leader must be bold, and a leader must have vision to be able to look ahead and see what is coming and how we can respond to that. A leader must look ahead. A leader must move forward with confidence. Um, have you, uh, I'll put it this way, have you ever been showing people the way to get there? and you didn't know how to get there. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Follow me, everybody. <laughs> and you have a train of cars behind you. You know, everybody's following you because you said you know how to get there. Next thing you know, you're pulling into a parking lot, going around in a circle, coming back out, going a different direction. Cause you... Now, these days, you got GPS. <laughs> okay. So we've been using that a lot. So we, you know, I never thought I'd be so dependent on GPS. I always... Kind of, you know, I don't want to use the word prided, but, you know, I know how to get places. I have a map, and I just need to look at the map, and I can almost memorize a map. In fact, if I would have really studied the map before I came to, to this church, I, I might have been able to get here without looking at the GPS or the map again, because I, I can remember a map pretty good. But it, I tell you, when you can just type in an address, and the, the, the nice lady just tells you where to turn and how to go, oh, it's so convenient. But, you know, the olden days, the olden days, we, we acted like we, yeah, I'm, yeah, just follow me. I know how to get there. Yep. <laughs> ah, yeah. and, and every once in a while, you found out that, hey, I, you know, I, I didn't know it as good as I thought I did. And you have all these people behind you, and they start feeling, how do they feel when you pull into a parking lot when you're supposed to be leading them somewhere? They start feeling, oh, wow, oh, this guy really doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know how to get there. Are we going to actually get there? Are you going to lead us into the boondock somewhere? Maybe we'll end up in another state, or maybe we'll end up in another city and we'll never get there at all. People have become very insecure when the leader doesn't know where he's going. And so it's important, necessary, that a leader knows where he's going and that he knows how to get there and how to take the family where we want to go and not... Leave everybody feeling bewildered and confused and insecure. We're not sure where this is headed. But we know where we're going because the leader is showing us the way. Notice where the shepherd leads. It says he leads in paths of righteousness. Now, we all are familiar with the follow the leader concept. I just kind of explained it to you with the people in the train, the train of cars behind you when you're going somewhere. But uh, children, sometimes they play the game, follow the leader. They run here and they run there and around that tree and over that hill and whatever. And uh, they're all in a line, you know. I don't know if the children do that much anymore or not. But uh, the leader, if he wants his family to walk in paths of righteousness, guess where he needs to walk? He needs to walk in the paths of righteousness. <laughs> If he wants the people following to be living in righteousness, he needs to live there himself. I'm telling you an example. There's no substitute for an example. That goes for the church. That goes for the home. That goes for the school. Does it work to say, do as I say, but not as I do? Does that work? Do as I say, but don't do as I do. That doesn't work. 
because ultimately your influence is compromised by that kind of a mentality. And so we need to be doing what we're teaching so that we can show people, our families, how to do it. Okay? Um, when I was a boy, I will give you a bad, uh, bad example. Okay, this is a bad example. Sorry. But my dad was a song leader and a Sunday school teacher and a Christian man. But there were certain people, when he would talk to them, he would swear. Okay? Now, I was a little boy, and I was standing there next to my dad, and uh, I knew my dad was, I knew, I knew what he was. In fact, my dad was even a soloist in the Church of the Brethren when I grew up. So that's the kind of church I grew up in. Okay. Uh, I don't think we normally have soloists, do we? No, not really. But anyway, I would hear my dad swear. And so I knew in my mind that it wasn't really right as a boy. I knew it wasn't right for my dad to swear. But it sort of opened the door that maybe that's the thing to do. Maybe that's normal. And so when I was a boy, I swore. Because my dad did every once in a while. Wasn't normal. Wasn't normal. It was only when certain people came around. I guess he just wanted to impress them with his bad language. I don't know. But how many of you are impressed with bad language? Do you think that really makes somebody a somebody? I think to myself, what's the point? Why are you saying that? I have a man that comes to my farm. He knows I'm a, He knows what I am. He knows that I'm a Mennonite preacher. He even knows that. And he just lets it rip, you know. Spicy, I call it spicy language. He uses spicy language on me. I'm thinking, I am not one bit impressed. Why does he bother? Well, you know, it's just his mode of operation. That's just what he does. And should I say, now, Kenny, knock it off? Or should I just, yeah, whatever. I'm not, I'm not always sure what to do. But I say that to say this. Be an example. Walk in the paths of righteousness so that your children see, okay, this can be done. <laughs> it, it does work to live that way. You can do it. Um, it, push, it puts skin on the commands of God. You can see how it works out and how it is done. So he leads in the paths of righteousness. He needs to walk there so others can follow. If your children grow up to be just like you, which they might, will you be satisfied with that? What kind of a person will they be? So he leads. Let's look at another scripture. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we're at verse 1. <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. And, please notice, the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And guess what the sheep do? Look at this. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Doesn't this speak of a tender relationship. The shepherd has established and maintained a close and meaningful relationship with his sheep. He cares about them. They know he cares about them. His voice they know, they hear, and they obey. Do the sheep hear your voice? Do they know the voice of the shepherd? It says a stranger's voice will be rejected. 
because it does not match the voice of the shepherd. And so the sheep should be very familiar. The sheep should be very familiar with the voice of the shepherd so that when a contradicting voice comes along, they reject it. How many sheep would say, sadly, I haven't heard much from the shepherd lately. I don't really know his voice. I trust your sheep, the sheep under your care, say, yeah, I know the voice. (laughs) I know the voice of my shepherd. He shares much of that with me. Third point this morning is that he loves. John chapter 10, we're still in John 10. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is in hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. Notice in this, these verses what the shepherd does for the sheep. It says that he gives his life for the sheep. Now we know this is referring to Jesus. Jesus gives his life for the sheep. How many of you are saying, yep, that's worth it. Worth it. Jesus gave his life for the sheep. Is that normal? Is that the way it normally works? That shepherds give their lives for sheep. That's normally how it works. I, I think if the shepherd, in a, generally speaking, in a normal shepherd and sheep situation, if the sheep are being attacked and the shepherd's life is endangered, how many sheep, how many sheep are worth the life of a shepherd? They're, we're going to lose a dozen sheep over this attack. Maybe I should just maybe the shepherd should just lay down his life to protect his sheep. That is not normally the way it is, okay? I got a bunch of chickens at my house. And let me tell you something. I'm not even hard. I don't think I would shed a drop of blood for them if I didn't have to. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. If the foxy woxy is running around in the chicken coop, and I, you know, I might be able to chase him out if I had a good tool. But you know what? If it's going to cause me injury, I don't know. I could lose an awful lot of chickens before I would risk myself to save them. I just wouldn't do it. They're not worth it. And it is not normal for a shepherd to give his life for sheep. Sheep aren't worth that much. But Jesus looks at you as his sheep and he says, it's worth it. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. That's not normal. That's extraordinary. That's extravagant. But have you found that, you know, generally parenting comes on us not all at once. It usually comes kind of gradually and slowly. And maybe at first we think, well, it's a lot of sacrifice for the wife. She takes care of the baby. Um, The man grunts in the middle of the night and the wife gets up and gets the baby and takes care of the baby. And, you know, after a while, you know, it, it, it looks... Okay, now that this, this child is, is demanding a little more of me. I remember when my children were born, I, my father taught me independence, okay? I'm, t- I'm talking a lot about my, about my father and how I was brought up. But I was an independent person, man. When I wanted to go, I just went. There were times when my father, he got in his car and left. Nobody knew where he went. Nobody knew where, how long he's going to be gone. Nobody knew when he's coming back. We didn't know. My dad just came and went as he pleased. I think he was doing good things. I don't think he was doing bad things, but he just sort of did his own thing. And so I grew up watching that. Okay, dads, what they do, they just get in their car and they drive away and they do their own thing. And so I grew up, well, I just enjoyed hunting and I like to go fishing. And so, hey, I'm, I'm going to be going fishing. Okay, I go fishing and my wife's back there with the baby. It's okay. That's the way men do, you know. And uh, so then, uh, I, you know, it started to occur to me that this isn't really very nice to my wife. So 
I said, we're going fishing. And so we would go fishing. Uh, she'd bring the baby along, and she'd be sitting in a lawn chair, and the baby would be crying and uh, getting all muddy and dirty, and I'd be there fishing as happy as can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, my wife would say, hey, we're having a good family time, you know. Uh, the day came that I realized, you know what, it is just such a total pain to take the whole family along. Let's just all stay home. <laughs> so I gave up my independence, and I started to realize this is all about sacrifice. I mean, if we can't do it together, we'll just all stay home. Maybe we can play a game at the table, you know, or something like that. It's a whole lot cleaner, and it's close to home, and uh, everybody can enjoy it and feel good about it. But uh, sacrifice. Lay down your life. I'm telling you, there are times that you will do as a parent things that you really would rather not do. My boys on the basketball team. Sometimes they get home late, late from where they went. And so my wife and I, well, you know what you do when you're a parent? You say, you know what? Sleep on the parking lot, buddy. We're not coming to get you. Is that what you say? No, you go get him. If it's 11 o'clock at night, you, you, you get up, you get out there and you get your son. And, uh, you know, the son says, Dad, thanks for, thanks for bringing me home, which my son does. I said, well, the other options were to leave you there <laughs> or whatever. You could have gone to somebody else's house, I guess, but, you know, but we, we'll get you. In fact, I told my children, if you're in trouble and you're on the other side of the earth, I'll come help you out because you're my, you're my son, you're my daughter. And that's, that's the way it needs to be. Parents will sacrifice. We end up laying down our lives for our flock. And that's the way it needs to be. They feel secure, they feel loved and protected when there's that kind of a understanding and that kind of a relationship. So he gives his life for the sheep. And so I ask you this morning, have you given up anything for them? What have you given up for them? Have you made many sacrifices for them? That is Love. He loves his sheep. Be careful about the hirelings. The hirelings don't care for the sheep as much as the shepherd does. They run away when danger comes along. And so be there for the sheep. Notice what kind of relationship the shepherd has with his sheep. He says, I know them. Okay? He knows them. Verse 14, I know my sheep and am known of mine. And so it is a knowing relationship. Now I talked some this week about my son. I can tell you things about him because I know him. All right? Parents, fathers, shepherds, know your children. Know what they're doing. Know what they're struggling with. Ask them questions. And you must always have time for them. You must always have time for them. Know them. They are your precious, beloved sheep. And then verse 27 of the same chapter, My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Very important truth. I know them and they follow this is love. The last point this morning is that he protects. And we're going to bring, go back to Psalm 23, <clears throat> where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, in a very real sense, the sheep depend on you for security. They need to know that you will be there. This is a dangerous world we live in. And I, I, I look at young people. I told this to the young people the other night. I don't, I don't know if I use the word pity, or I, I don't know if I use the word feel sorry, but I'm not sure exactly what words I use. But, but this is a hard world. 
to live in. Life is difficult for young people, for children. Um, I think about how things were when I was a boy. And some of you can do the same thing. The world was much more innocent, if I may say that. It was a much more innocent world than it is today. We live in a world that is saturated with corruption, evil, pollution, temptation, sin. It is rampant. It is everywhere. It is visible. And children and young people have a different world to live, to grow up in than we did. And there is much harm. Much harm is lurking. The harm used to be lurking beyond our door. Now the harm can be lurking within our door. And so we need to provide, we need to provide safety. We need to provide accountability. We need to provide structure. We need to provide protection for our children, perhaps more than it has ever been needed. Much harm is available and right close by at any given time. Are you offering the protection that your sheep need. You need to stand guard. You are the guard at the door to make sure nothing comes here that doesn't belong here. Okay? And so we need to be on top of our game. We need to be active and relevant in that area. Stand guard at the door of your house. You need to provide protective accountability for your sheep. So we ask and we look and ask and see what books are they reading? What music are they hearing? What's going on behind those earbuds? What's going on in there? What people are they relating to? What are we doing on the computer, on the cell phone, etc.? What influence are they under? They need the shepherd's protection. Do you ask? Do you ask? Sometimes it's risky to ask. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not sure you're going to like the answers to your questions, so sometimes it's easier not to ask. But we need to ask. We need to be bold. We need to have courage. We need to take it on. Ask. Young people, children, parents ask questions because they are nosy. True or false? Is that why parents ask questions? Because they're nosy. No. They ask questions because they care. They ask questions because they love. They ask questions because they want to protect and help. Not because they're nosy, but because they care. Peter tells us the devil is what? You know what he says? Peter says the devil is as a roaring lion. He's roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. Has he ever devoured anybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has a very, very successful program of devouring people. And so we need to provide protection from the devouring of the lion. Our sheep need protection. One last thing this morning, and that is that the shepherd needs to be humble. The shepherd needs to be transparent. And he needs to be gracious. Sheep respond very badly to a proud and overbearing shepherd. <laughs> it's too bad because sometimes that's our natural inclination. We are naturally overbearing. And you know, it's very easy to be proud over a child. Because children, they're children. They don't get it right. And I'm a grown-up. I got it right. Sometimes we can be very critical towards children. We can be overbearing and proud in dealing with them. And sheep will lose confidence in a shepherd who never admits wrong. And you know what? Sheep often know when the shepherd is wrong. The sheep know that. 
when you fly off the handle, and I don't know if any of you do that, but you speak words that are not very kind. Maybe you raise your voice and it didn't come out quite right. It's happened to me, okay? It's happened to me. Is it okay to say, little boy, little girl, daddy didn't do right. I shouldn't have acted like that. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And the little child says, Daddy, I love you. It's usually pretty easy. Okay? But the sheep need to have a shepherd that says, You know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And generally, sheep are very, very forgiving. So let's own our mistakes and the wrongs we do. Admit it. Ask forgiveness. Same thing goes for husbands and wives, by the way, and for all of us. When we've done wrong, just say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Get good at it. Get good at it. That's a valuable skill in life, to be able to admit you're wrong. It helps life go so much better. Sheep lose respect for a shepherd who says, but does not do. They need an example to follow. They learn best by observation. And so, shepherd, this morning, pastor, what kind of sheep are they becoming? Will you be content, happy, satisfied, if they turn out to be just like you? I sure hope my children surpass me by far. I hope they go way beyond me. But the likelihood is they're probably going to become pretty much like we are. So I don't know if any of these items were relevant to you this morning. We will review that the pastor, the family pastor, feeds. I need to do a better job of feeding, okay? I'll just be right up front honest with you. He leads. He feeds. He leads. He loves. And he protects.